the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. Do we have a king or do we elect people? I, I don't even know how our system works anymore. Yesterday, the Supreme Court denied the Trump administration's appeal to quickly end the DACA program. The White House made an unusual request to the Supreme Court after two lower court judges issued injunctions last month blocking President Trump from ending DACA. Now, in case you need a quick refresher, DACA, former President uh, Obama, created this program in 2012, and he did it outside of the legislative process. This is where he said, excuse me, sometimes, oh my gosh, I bore myself to death. Um, This is where he said, uh, you know, I have a phone and a pen. He'll do it through executive order. Now, it's a program that allows illegal immigrants who came here to the U.S. before they turned 16 to apply for a permit that keeps them from getting deported and allows them to work. Around 800,000 so-called dreamers applied for the DACA permit. Obama claimed his program was not a path to citizenship, just a a measure that temporarily would help those young immigrants until Congress got its act together to pass permanent uh, immigration legislation. He did a lot of executive ordering that way. Now, I know this is a shock, but Congress never passed anything. So the Dreamers were allowed to renew their two-year permits for an additional two years. President Trump inherited this gigantic DACA mess from Obama. Trump is continually blamed for being anti-immigrant, but the left forgets a key part of the narrative here, that several states were threatening to sue the government over DACA. Facing that pressure, Trump announced last September that the program would end in six months. That deadline is next week. In the meantime, if your DACA permit was set to expire before March 5th, you've been given an extra month to apply for renewal. Those who did so got two more years of permit protection. But a federal district judge in Northern California blocked the plan to end DACA, ruling that Trump has to keep accepting renewal applications past March 5th. There's no rules for anything anymore. The Trump administration then asked the Supreme Court to step in and allow DACA to end uh, the uh, on the original deadline. The court didn't issue any opinion on the matter. It just refused to deal with it right now. So that doesn't change anything. It just means we kick the can down the road and the battle goes on in the lower courts and the DACA program will continue as it has since Obama decreed it in 2012. Of course, you know, Congress could step in at any time and actually pass some sort of uh, reform legislation. But then again, hell could freeze over as well. It's Tuesday, February 27th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Thomas Massey is uh, with us. He's a representative from Kentucky. He is great on the budget. He is great on the Constitution, on guns. And it's always a pleasure to have you on, uh, Tom. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me on, Glenn. So can you can you help me out here? Is there any is there any constitutional law at all anymore as far (laughs) as Congress and the government is concerned? Um, very little. And, and, um, I heard your, your beginning there before I came on. Let's not forget that Obama said two dozen times he didn't have the authority to do DACA. Correct. So by what authority is this being held up? Um, 
we have a constitutional crisis, in my opinion. We absolutely. In, in other words, you know, the president, the executive branch needs to somehow take authority here for this. And, and sometimes Congress needs to take authority on things that the executive branch has has usurped. Well, well for for one, um, uh, Congressman, is is the, the idea of the budget. We, 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 we hear all this budget talk. It's not budget. It's a it's a continuing resolution. It is a suicidal way to run a government. And it is it has it has no standing. There is no govern. There's no budget here. You know, General Mattis spoke to us at the retreat at the Republican retreat. And he said, you know, what's worth more than 10 battleships to me in the next war in the next fight? He says it's an example of a functioning republic back there in Washington, D.C., and, and he's right. When you're trying to win the hearts and minds of the 90 percent of the people in that country that aren't taking up rifles, you better darn well show them that our government works better than the dictatorship they've got. But so far, we've been dysfunctional here on the budget. It is extremely frustrating to me. So so first of all, can you explain the continuing resolution to the average person? They have they have no idea. They, they hear all oh, the budget it's going to shut down because the budget talks. No, it's a continuing resolution. Well, it's, it's, it's legislative malpractice, first of all. There, there are 12 months in a year, okay? And, and when you do a continuing resolution, you just basically cut, copy, and paste a few months and paste them into the next few months in terms of spending. You don't really change the spending. You don't decide where the spending should go. You just keep doing what you were doing. And this is, this is a legislative crisis. This is going to be the fifth or sixth continuing resolution. By the way, I haven't voted for any of them. I was in that, that train wreck going to the Republican retreat. Mike Lee was sitting next to me. I hit my head. And when I came back up, he said, are you okay? I said, I think I'm okay. But if I vote for a continuing resolution, let's get me a CAT scan. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Lee can confirm that story. Yeah. Uh, so, well, you don't use Mike Lee as your, uh, uh, as your source unless, you, uh, unless you're prepared to... Uh, <laughs> to have him vouch for it because he'll always tell the truth. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. So the continuing resolution, um, it, it is it is Congress abdicating their power because they have the power of the purse, and so you can't do anything unless you're unless it's coming through Congress and you're saying this is where this is spent, this is where this is spent, this is how much. That's right. It's a, con- it's a complete abdication of our responsibility and our authority. There is a solution. There is a solution to all this. The problem, Glenn, is that four people in- inside of a room behind closed doors are trying to write an omnibus bill, a bill that will fund all of government. Instead of letting 435 members in the House and 100 senators debate this and come up with 12 separate bills that would fund the 12 separate parts of government. The problem when you put all of this in one bill is it's ripe for taking hostage. Look, the last time it happened, it was Schumer and Durbin. They said, we want DACA, and we're going to take all of government hostage. But nobody should be allowed to take the government, all of government spending hostage, not even the Freedom Caucus, frankly. And, and that wouldn't be possible if we would pass 12 separate bills. I call it letting the 12 hostages out of the room one at a time. I propose put the first bill on the floor. It should be the legislative branch that you fund. Challenge these guys not to fund their own salaries. I would die laughing if they vote against their own salaries because they're so self-interested. Of course they're going to vote for their own salaries. (laughs) Do 
So you get and, and their staffer salaries would be that in that too. So you'd get a twelfth of that government funded. The next thing you put up there, let's say the judicial branch, okay? We've got to fund the judicial branch, and most people will vote to fund that. Another one, this is one of my favorites, it's the bill, the financial services appropriations bill. It's also got Washington, D.C. in there because it's a federal city, and it has to be appropriated. Well, what Democrat is not going to vote to fund Washington, D.C.? I mean, it's 96-plus percent Democrat here. And then what Republican is not going to vote to fund financial services? Are they going to go back and tell their banker friends, we're sorry, we didn't get your bill passed? Uh, so that's one appropriations bill that comes up here in front of Congress that can pass with bipartisan support that nobody's going to take hostage to try and get whatever it is they want. Let those hostages out of the room one at a time. Even the Democrats were begging to fund military salaries at some point in the last shutdown because they were taking so much heat. Let's put the bill that funds the military on the floor. Pass it. You will get bipartisan votes to, to pass that. And by the way, Glenn, I told you I never voted for a CR, but I have voted for individual appropriations bills when they come to the floor. And that's because you may not be able to get a majority for a bill that funds all of government at once, but you can almost always find a majority for little slivers of government, like the judicial branch. The problem with this, Tom, and this is this is not my problem, this is actually a reason to do it, is the 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 left or the special interest right will say, uh, well, no, you don't want to do that because then that's going to leave this little orphan out here all by itself, and I don't know if we can get enough votes to pass a budget for that because it's not very popular. Yeah, well, what you'll be left with is the EPA, the Department of Labor. Yeah, they're worried about that because then when somebody takes the Department of Labor and the EPA hostage and says, if I don't get my whatever it is, I'm going to shut these down, everybody just sort of drums their fingers on the table and says, hmm, that might not be such a bad <laughs> right. idea. Can you imagine the countdown clock on CNN to days until or hours until the EPA shuts down? Like, nobody's going to watch that or care when it does shut down well, let, the Department of Labor. So um, uh, what's standing in your way from getting it done this way? Now, another thing, who is standing in your way? Leadership. It's the in the House. I'm not going to talk about the Senate because I don't work in the Senate, but here in the House, it's a complete total failure of Paul Ryan to facilitate an orderly process. Uh, it's because they don't trust our Republican form of government. They think that four people in the House and four people in the Senate should do all of this work and that we can't be trusted with uh, offering amendments and voting on various parts of the government. So is they it, want to do it all. Is it too far to say that we are, we are in a way already at a dictatorship of four people? Uh, yeah, oligarchy, whatever you want to call yeah. it, we are there. Um, and the rest of us are ornamental. We are ombudsmen to the, uh, to the rest of government. I mean, I can give you a tour of the Capitol here, Glenn, if you'd like, and uh, I'll come to your Rotary Club. But, uh, <laughs> and I can tell you, and I can act like what Paul Ryan is doing is, you know, I had a hand in it, but the, the reality is there are four people writing this legislation, and the rest of it are told to take it or leave it, and we're basically dared to go home and face our constituents not having voted for roads and bridges or not having voted for the military. See, it's also our leadership that's taking this hostage because they know they can get us to vote for all the money at the Department of Labor and the EPA if they put it in with the rest of it. All right. So let's let's switch gears here. Uh, let's go to guns. Yeah. Um, 
how, how what do these four people believe on infringing on the Second Amendment? <laughs> well, they're horrible, and they'll they'll blow whichever way the the breeze blows. And um, let me tell you, I am I I am just furious with my colleagues here. We had a shooting in Kentucky, okay, a, a school shooting recently, and there was the shooting obviously in Florida. And I've talked to survivors of Columbine, the Columbine shooting, and they are furious. People, the people that I talk to are furious that my colleagues are offering unserious solutions. Yeah, they're tr- look. Let me give, for instance, the assault weapons ban or raising the minimum age to buy an assault weapon. Look, when Columbine happened, the assault weapons ban had been in place for five years, and they didn't even use a so-called assault weapon. And then they talk about raising the age to buy a long gun. Well, the age to buy a handgun is 21 already, but the kid in Kentucky who committed the shooting there was 15 years old. There's no background check, no minimum age in the world that's gonna, that would have stopped him. Or the one in Connecticut that took his mom's gun, shot his mom, and then went to school and, and shot his classmates. These aren't problems that are solved with background checks or universal background checks. I mean, in Columbine, they used straw purchasers, the two perpetrators, and I'm not going to use their names. I don't think anybody should say their, these low-life's names and memorialize them. But the two perpetrators in Columbine, they got an 18-year-old girl to buy the long guns, and then they got a 22-year-old guy to buy the handgun for them. Those were straw purchases. Those weren't individual transfers. Those were straw purchases, and those are illegal already. So, uh, Congressman, we're talking to Congressman uh, Thomas Massey uh, from Kentucky, uh, and uh, I hear this from people, and I think that the mood of the country is changing uh, on both sides. People are tired of the extremes, and they want something to be done. And it's not just anything. They want something. They can tell in this that, you know, look at we we. We protect what I contend. What I contend is an empty Fort Knox, and we protect that because that's where our quote treasure is. Well, our the average person's treasure is in the school, and we're refusing to harden those and protect them. We're doing worse. We're advertising their vulnerability by calling them gun-free school zones. Ninety-eight percent of mass public shootings happen in a gun-free zone, and. I think our kids deserve to be in the 2% category where only 2% of them happen, not in the 98% vulnerable. That's why my solution would be to arm teachers. Now, here's, here's what you'll hear. Oh, teachers don't want the training. Teachers don't want the responsibility. Teachers will shoot students. Police will shoot teachers. Teachers, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's already 12 states that do this. And a lot of private schools, just an hour ago, I talked to somebody from Kentucky up here visiting. Yeah, my kid goes to a private school, and out front the sign says the teachers are armed. He says, I don't have to worry about my kids when they go to school. Same here in Texas. Yeah, and in Oklahoma, if you've got a concealed carry permit, you can carry, uh, the teacher can carry in the school. Look, once you take out New York City and California, 8% of Americans have concealed carry permits. That's, and I have reason to believe this is probably about 8% of teachers, too. So there's 8% that already have passed the qualifications in their state, already own a firearm, already know how to use it, and are comfortable carrying it. I wouldn't make it mandatory, but 8% of the teachers armed? That would stop these things now. Congressman Thomas Massey from Kentucky. Thank you, Congressman. On uh, Twitter at Rep Thomas Massey uh, and Massey.house.gov, of course, the website. Um, 
he's a really smart guy. One of the uh, good guys. One of the fight, and one of the people who doesn't think the Second Amendment says that our right to bear arms shall not be infringed, except by a little bit sometimes. I mean, come on. <laughs> That's not what it says. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network.